0: From Salesforce Studios, this is Blazing Trails.
1: Welcome to the Blazing Trails podcast presented by WordPress VIP. I'm Laura Woods, head of the Salesforce blog. And today we have another highlight from Dreamforce 2019 and one of my personal favorites, Ariana Huffington. You might know her as the founder of HuffPost or from her book on the sleep revolution, or even from her focus on ending the stress and burnout epidemic with her company, Thrive Global. Before we get to Ariana, a word about WordPress VIP, who is making this show possible. WordPress VIP is the digital publishing solution that powers the world's top media companies. As well as marketing platforms for some of the best known brands like Time and Facebook. Later on in this episode, you'll hear more of our conversation with their CEO, Nick Gernert. And now, here's Ariana Huffington speaking with Salesforce co CEO, Mark Benioff.
2: Please welcome my good friend, Ariana Huffington. <laughs> welcome, Ariana.
3: Great to be here.
2: We're so happy to have Ariana, and Ariana and I bump into each other on a regular basis all over the world. So it's nice to have her at Dreamforce so we can talk about all the things that she is doing in the world. And, um, you know, Ariana is amazing because not only is she a phenomenal entrepreneur, but she's also a phenomenal visionary, especially in many different areas, not just in journalism, and of course, the, everybody knows the Huffington Post. How many people have heard of the Huffington Post? <laughs> everybody. And her new company, Thrive. How many people have heard of Thrive? Yeah, exciting. And, um, but in many other areas, including her pioneering work in sleep, and meditation, and physical health. And this is not your first dream force that you've been at, right? Weren't no, you here been once before the, or at the least? The
3: first uh, dream force was 2014 when actually um, I was sitting next to you before you introduced me and I said to you, Mark, I would like to sit on the cloud stage and have a five minute meditation, mm-hmm. what do you think? And you said, go for it. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of my dream always, to sit on a cloud meditating and we did it.
2: Yeah. We should all be sitting on a cloud meditating.
3: We should be doing it at least a few minutes a day.
2: I agree, absolutely.
3: That's why the Plum Village is great.
2: Yes, yeah. Well, that's, um, I'll just, you know, tell you that yesterday was obviously a long day for me, probably for everybody. And then around five o'clock last night, I ended up down in uh, the bottom of Moscone, I guess it's south, and um, the monastics... Um, who now, this is their fifth year coming from uh, um, their monastery, um, had asked that they could have a little bit more of a structural approach because every year they're in a slightly different place. We try different places and they're like, you know, we need like a village, you know, like we have back home. And I'm like, what do you mean a village? (laughs) I said, well, a village. And I'm like, well, you're gonna have to explain that to me. Well, drawings have started to arrive. We want it to look like this. We want these kind of pictures. And we've tried to bring their energy of where they live, which is near Bordeaux, France, down into Moscone South, and you can on the Dreamforce app. How many of you've loaded the Dreamforce app on your phones? Uh, You can book time with the monastics and learn how to meditate one-on-one, but also you can just go down there and there's seminars and programs, and I ended up down there and it was a there was a phenomenal program, and there was incredible healings happening where people, you know, we're all going through life, so trauma that we're all experiencing, issues that we're having, um, and um, just uh, by sitting and having a quiet moment, I was witnessing some incredible uh, healing. So it was quite it was quite a powerful day to powerful way to end the day yesterday. So I encouraged everyone. In fact, I mentioned Ariana the first thing today. I said, well, make sure you get a chance to go down there. I'm going
3: tomorrow. I said to him, I'm going tomorrow. He said, you should go today too. (laughs) And you know, I love that. I love that passion for recognizing that in fact, when we take that little time Mm. to pause, reconnect with ourselves and recharge, we are actually more effective at everything else we are doing. Everybody here is part of a business. So obviously, you are here to learn how to do this better. But I think what you are not going to get at any other conference is the recognition that you're actually going to be better at work if you take a little time to reconnect with yourself. For me, that's kind of the key message of our times. it's an uphill battle to make sure everybody recognizes it, but mm-hmm. you know, for me that's why I left Post to launch Thrive because I wanted to spend the rest of my life um, helping people see the data. Here's what is ironic. The data is so clear and unequivocal. Elite athletes you know, are the first to recognize that recovery is part of peak performance. Mm-hmm. But for some reason it's been harder in the fourth industrial revolution for business people to recognize it. And you are helping because you show the connection between enormous success and the recognition that we have an enormous amount of wisdom in us that we need to tap into.
2: Well, one of the nice things that's been, you know, being around you for so many years, Ariana, is, um, and it's kind of reflected very much in these monastics, that whenever I notice the monastics around, even here at the conference, or there's always, there's more than one. They travel <laughs> together. And um, I was, why, you know, why is it that there's always two or three or four, whatever it is, or if they're coming to the conference, they have to come as a, you know, as a group. And I'm like, why, why is that? And they said, well, you know what? It's important to do things together. Yes. It's important to do things together. And that's been a big word, and even as we've been doing these focus groups for the keynote yesterday, that was the word that our customers really now for some time, this is very important, that we're all together, we're all one, and that we're going through all of this together. And in our mindfulness and in our meditation and in our spiritual pursuits, that idea that we're coming together through our mindfulness is very powerful. And I think being with you on that journey has been very powerful for me. So how do you feel about that? How do you feel about community as a relationship to this?
3: I think it's absolutely key. And what is um, ironic is that when we reconnect with ourselves, that's when community really flourishes. Because in the deep part of ourselves, we are all one. I mean, every spiritual tradition whether it's the Tao, Zen, the Bhagavad Gita, the Stoics, the Greeks, they've all said the same thing. We all have a place in us of wisdom, peace, strength. When we connect from that place, we are all together. And Thich Nhat Hanh, um, has said that it has never been easier today to run away from ourselves. And that's really both... Um, the incredible power and the incredible tragedy of our times. That, you know, technology has allowed us to do amazing, magical things, but also it has accelerated this disconnection from ourselves. And that's why now we are working to change that. To actually even use technology to help us reconnect. I mean, not Thrive, we just bought an AI a feedback um, um, neuroscientific company called Boundless in order to be able to help us personalize better the micro steps for behavior change that we feed to our users. Mm -hmm. So you can use technology to actually help you augment humanity. Mm. But I feel that's kind of the big journey that I'm excited to be on and that you are on.
2: Mm. Now when I first met you, you didn't hand me a book on meditation, and you didn't hand me a book on sleep. You wrote you handed me your one of your first books, which was on history, and I think it was on the Greeks was it or it was yes, on, I, I is that right? Do I remember that correctly? <laughs> yes,
3: I've written 15 books. Which what was the probably, first book? Yeah. My first book was on the changing role of women. I wrote it when I was 23, uh, as soon as I left Cambridge. And then everybody wanted me to write more about the subject of women, but I told them that I had said everything I knew at 23. Mm, good. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, writing books is a way for me to learn. Mm-hmm. So then I wrote a book. Um, on the crisis in political leadership, it's even worse now, and uh, and I and nobody wanted to publish it, and it was rejected by thirty-seven publishers, and it taught me a lot about failure, because at that moment I had to tap into my own perseverance, and also something that I loved happened, which is I was walking, I was living in London at the time, and I was walking down Saint James's Street, kind of depressed, having run out of money from my first book. And I see a Barclays bank in the corner. And I go into the bank, and armed with nothing but a lot of Greek chutzpah, I ask the manager for a loan. And the manager, for some reason, gave it to me. And it changed the outcome, because I was able to keep it together for another 12 rejections until finally somebody published it. And uh, I still send Ian Bell, that was the name of the manager, a, a holiday card every year. But it reminds me a little bit, you know, in fairy tales, <clears throat> you have a hero or a heroine lost in a dark forest and then some helpful animals come out to help guide them out of the forest. <laughs> well, often in our lives, there are helpful animals disguised as bank managers so whatever <laughs> to help us through the dark moments and that leads to one of your favorite words in your book, Mark, which I love, which is trust. Mm. Trust is so key in business, in the culture business builds, but also in our personal lives. You know, I fundamentally believe that we live in a benevolent universe and I trust the universe. Even when things are not going my way, I trust that there is something there that I don't see now, but that's going to become known to me in the future.
2: When you think of trust, what does trust mean to you?
3: Well, it starts with trust in a benevolent universe, which is very different from a lot of modern philosophy that we live in an indifferent universe. I don't believe that. Uh, And then in um, business, it's really the foundation of culture. Uh, At Thrive, we believe that culture is a company's immune system. Like every company has viruses. Mm -hmm. You know, human behavior, bullying, uh, despite all the effort on psychological safety, there are people who create uh, psychologically unsafe environments. But if employees trust, then the first thing that happens is they express themselves. The number one cultural value at Thrive is what we call compassionate directness. If people are direct and express, then everything can be resolved. Mm -hmm. If people sit on resentments and problems without expressing them, that's when they mutate Mm -hmm. and they affect the overall culture.
2: What's more important to you personally? uh, Compassionate directness or trust?
3: I think they're connected. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can have compassionate directness without trust.
2: So if you had to pick one, what would it be?
3: Well, trust is first. But you know what? Why are you being so binary? <laughs>
2: okay.
3: It's not, I mean, you're. Because. You're,
2: <laughs> if everything is important, then nothing is important.
3: I know, but at so the we same time. But we have to ta- choose. We have at to the be same time. aware
2: of what our hierarchy is.
3: Absolutely, but we also need to move away from a sense that everything is a trade off. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because often it's not either or, it's end. Right. Uh, and I agree with you that trust has to be foundational because without it, people won't express themselves. But then what does it lead to?
2: What else does trust mean to you?
3: So for me, um, trust is really the, the understanding that we have infinite possibilities ahead of us.
4: Mm. Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, both individually and, uh, and as a company or a collective, a community. And it also means recognizing that who we are in the world, no matter how magnificent, is less magnificent than who we are in our essence. Mm -hmm. And that is an incredible sense of trust. And I think one of the most moving things in your book was the way you describe in detail how you made the decision to ask Keith to be your co-CEO. That is a very profound passage for any leader because very often what stops people from taking decisions that are best for themselves, for the business, for their biggest impact in the world is the lack of trust in what is their identity. If your entire identity was I'm the CEO of Salesforce, you would not have ceded control to someone who now reports to the board and not to you. Mm -hmm. And that for me is key, because I know far too many people who hate their jobs, but they would never change. They would never take the risk of changing because then they would lose the title of SVP of this or that or a CEO of this or that. And yet, if you look at our um, eulogies, I'm kind of a little bit obsessed with death because I think death teaches us so much about how to live life. Mm. And if you look at the eulogies, any, any eulogy... I feel a
2: book coming on here.
3: A book. Actually, I wrote that book. It's called Thrive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if, you, um, if you've been to a memorial recently, and we all lost Bernard Tyson, um, uh, whom we loved and whom I first I last saw at your Time a very Health sad week. Conference. Yes. So um, what a eulogy always makes clear that our LinkedIn mm-hmm. values are not our eulogy values. Like, have you ever been to a memorial? You're not
2: LinkedIn values like our... I don't mean the like company. LinkedIn. No, we love you LinkedIn mean, values. I okay.
3: mean okay. our resume values. Okay. Are not our um, eulogy values. Like, have you ever been to a memorial and heard somebody say, you know, George was amazing. He increased market share by one third.
2: <laughs> I have heard that, actually. You have?
3: <laughs> I'm amazed. I have heard that. You have? Mm-hmm. That must have been some awful eulogy. Uh, on the whole, people focus on how they made people feel, what they did for their community, you know, all sorts of other values. So I love the idea of living our lives, remembering to also live our eulogy values. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love that in Rome, you know, they used to carve MM, Memento Mori on trees and statues, remember death, not out of morbidity, but because it puts everything in perspective in life. Mm -hmm. And as the Onion headline put it recently, death rate holds steady at 100%.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you about some of those early books. So you were working on these books, but you did bridge into these historical books because that seemed to become interesting to you. And that surprised me. I didn't understand that you had this depth of knowledge of history. So where where did that come from and where did that interest come from in you?
3: Well, I studied economics and history at Cambridge. And I always uh, felt that we learn a lot from history. Um, But you said something really that I love in your book, which is leaders need to be steeped in history Mm-hmm. and know how to project into the future. But in order to do that effectively, they need to learn to be in the present. Mm-hmm. And I've always been obsessed with leadership and what do we learn from leaders. And if you think of it, it has a lot to do with leaders All are always a little bit ahead of the zeitgeist. Like they can tap into where the world is going and be a little bit ahead of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when they are able to actually bring to the world what it needs. I mean, you did that with Salesforce, but you're also now doing it with helping people make bolder decisions. And my mother, you know, I was very lucky to have an amazing mother who taught me to take risks because she made me unafraid of failure. Mm-hmm. The truth is that if you're afraid of failure, you're not gonna mm-hmm. take risks.
2: My mother is right there. Stand up, mother.
3: <laughs> Congratulations, what a oh, son. There go. <laughs> She's it, so happy now. It, uh... <laughs> It all goes back to the mothers.
2: It all goes back to the mothers. Yes. In fact,
3: um, I uh, did a story about my mother in a podcast. My mother would
2: like to just come up now here. Would you like to come up? I can exit back to the... uh,
3: Can you come up and Mark can go back and talk (laughs) to the monastics and you and I can continue (laughs) the conversation.
2: That sounds good, actually. (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs)
3: <laughs> um, so I, I talked about my mother in Meditative Story, which is a podcast that we yes. did thanks to Salesforce that's sponsoring program. it. And I'm delighted to say we are just um, agreed to do a second season oh, together. Oh wow, great, wonderful. And uh, I wrote, I, my meditative story is about my mother. So yeah. the, the point of the podcast is for people who are daunted by meditation. We want to reach everybody. And there are people who haven't meditated ever because they feel it's something difficult. So we hook them through storytelling. Mm -hmm. And then we give them mindfulness prompts throughout the the storytelling. So my story is about how we were living in a one-bedroom apartment in Athens, Greece, and coming home from school, I saw a picture of Cambridge University on on the magazine cover. And I told my mother, I want to go there. Everybody else I said that, we said, don't be ridiculous. You don't speak English. We have no money. And it's hard even for English girls to get into Cambridge. My mother said, let's find out how to do it. But at the same time, she made me feel that even if I didn't get in, it didn't matter. Because her whole sense was that life is an adventure. And so if you fail at something, there is something else. And that was her her biggest gift to me. And she used to say failure is not the opposite of success. It's a stepping stone to success. But today, we just released an amazing episode that I'd really love you to hear. I want everybody in the world to hear it because I think it will change how people live their lives. By uh, Keith Yamashita, who was the speechwriter to Steve Jobs, Oprah, Howard Schultz, etc., And he had learned to optimize every second of his life. You know, like many people here in Silicon Valley, you know, like cheating time, multitasking, you know, mm-hmm. that whole approach. And the story starts with him being in a dealership about to buy a car and telling the guy, I only have one hour, I don't want to haggle. I don't have time, and then I need to do a video conference call. So he buys the car, he goes to do a video conference call in a room they give him, he goes to drink some water while the video call is going, and it drips down his face. Bottom line, he's having a stroke. So it's really that moment when his whole life has been about optimization and then life intervenes mm. and it changes how he lives the rest of his life. And it's incredibly powerful and moving because it helps all of us come to terms with what matters now, not because we had a stroke or in my case, collapse from burnout or whatever the, the incident is.
2: Mm. Well, let's talk about that. So, you were experiencing burnout, you had been working a lot, you had done so many things in your life, everything was in front of you and yet everything was also behind you at the same time, but then there you were in the present moment and you were burned out. What did you do?
3: Well, I actually collapsed, hit my head on my desk, broke my cheekbone, that was 2007, two years into building Half-Post, the divorced mother of two teenage daughters. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the best thing that happened to me because being a, um, a kind of data-driven person, I wanted to understand what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And in the process, I understood that what happened to me was happening to hundreds of millions of people around the world. And uh, my doctor actually who was a bit of a philosopher, called it civilization's disease, burnout. Mm. And that started me covering all these issues at the Huffington Mm -hmm. Post, writing Thrive, writing The Sleep Revolution. And in 2016, I decided to leave HuffPost, to launch Thrive in order to help people not just be aware of these problems, but give them micro steps Mm -hmm. to change behavior. The key mark now is around behavior. A hundred years ago, most people were dying from infectious diseases. Today, it's our behaviors that are killing us. Mm. If you include the mental health crisis, 90% of healthcare problems and healthcare costs, 90% are lifestyle and behavior related Mm -hmm. and stress related. Mm -hmm. So think of the opportunity And that's really one of the problems with the democratic primary debate, if we can talk about politics for a minute, (laughs) that they're not talking about it. They're only talking about how to pay for disease care. Mm -hmm. And that's really never going to work. There's never, ever going to be enough money, either in this country or anywhere in the world, to arrest the increase in chronic diseases, diabetes, heart disease, stress, mental health problems without helping people change behavior. So that's really what we do at Thrive. We've, we've built a product, which is a SaaS product, because we only work with enterprises and brands. We don't go directly to consumers. Mm-hmm. We learn from Salesforce. <laughs> and And the product gives you micro steps to change whatever area of your life you want to start with whether it's sleep, gratitude, meditation, mindfulness, movement, nutrition. But it also gives you storytelling and new role models mm-hmm. to touch your heart and inspire you so that it really is a combination of data and wisdom. Mm. And, um, and then we also launched the Thrive Academy, which is 90-minute modules on all these issues. Mm-hmm. And everything is science-based. That's kind of one of my big obsessions to redefine the wellness category from being warm and fuzzy uh, to being hardcore and performance-based.
2: Well, I'm very interested, kind of going back to 2007, you've had this situation with burnout and you've suffered this trauma. And I'm sure a lot of people who are watching us or who in the audience, maybe they've had a similar situation or they've experienced burnout. What's the first thing that you recommend people do if they are experiencing something like that? What's the first
3: step? Well, the first step ideally is to catch it before you collapse and find yourself coming to in a pool of blood, right? I mean, that's the first thing. And now, you know, um, in May, the World Health Organization acknowledged burnout as um, an actual disease. and and gave us a lot of uh, symptoms to be watching out for, and one of them is kind of negativism and cynicism about work, or uh, no longer being engaged in what you're doing. Um, Once you begin to identify the symptoms, what is so amazing is that we can take these micro steps to course correct, Mm -hmm. and I would say the first thing, let me give you my favorite micro step, if you, have any sense of burnout in your lives, and if you don't. Um, We have over 700 microsteps, but this is my favorite. Pick a time at the end of your day. I wanna go through
2: all 700, by the way. Okay,
3: perfect, no problem. We'll be here until Friday night. (laughs) So the first is, so you pick a time at the end of your working day that you declare the end of your working day. Mm -hmm. Because the truth, Mark, is that there is no end to our working day, as you have found out, mm-hmm. right? We could anybody here could keep working through the night. If anybody here can has a natural end to your working day, I recommend you change jobs because it means your job is not sufficiently interesting.
4: Mm. Oh,
3: right. Sure. So let's let's assume here that everybody has an interesting mm-hmm. job, no end to your working day. So you have to declare it. You have to pick an arbitrary end. Mm -hmm. And because human beings learn through ritual, you mark the end of your working day by taking your phone and charging it outside your bedroom. Mm -hmm. How many people here sleep with their phones? What about you, Mr. Benia? I don't
2: sleep with my phone.
3: Great. I'll check. I? With, I'll check with I Lynn. don't
2: know. Is that a good thing or a bad I'll check,
3: thing? I'll check. I'll check with Lynn afterwards. Um, so <laughs> it is absolutely critical that you don't sleep with your phone because your phone, my phone, anybody's phone is the repository of every problem, every project and everything we're excited about. So we need to disconnect from that in order to be able to deeply recharge.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And then in the morning, be ready to be fully present in our lives and in addressing any challenge. And you write beautifully about that in your book about how when you are stressed and out and not fully recharged, you're distracted. Mm-hmm. You are not as empathetic you are not as good at, at um, solving problems and you are not as joyful. And I want to talk about joy mm-hmm. because, you know, for many, many years in my life, I used to think that all that matters was to kill it and crush it and be incredibly effective and productive. And now I don't think that's enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I think that's stable stakes.
2: Yeah. oh, I completely agree. And that's, you know, something I think that actually a guide. We were just mentioning the monastics downstairs. There's actually a monastic down there named Kai Lee, who I recommended that you go to visit. And you know, he is, his thought is to nurture your joy, to nurture it. And um, that's something that I've been thinking about for quite a few years, even before I met him, which is that, of course, we want to enjoy every moment. So if there is a moment that we're experiencing that we don't have enjoyment, then right then pay attention to why that is, because that is a guide. Because if you want to understand how to have more enjoyment in your life, make a list. On the left, the 10 things that you enjoy. On the right, the 10 things you do not enjoy. Do more on the left, do less on the right, You'll have more enjoyment.
1: (laughs) We're going to take a quick break now to bring you a conversation with the CEO of WordPress VIP, Nick Gernert. WordPress VIP is the leading provider of enterprise WordPress, and they power companies like Facebook, Spotify, and more. My colleague Matt Jaffe sat down with Nick at Dreamforce to discuss how his company is grappling with topics like the future of work, digital transformation, and more.
0: So you mentioned Cap Gemini. I think that's a really interesting case study. Tell me what you guys did with them. Yeah, it's so we kind of we uh, we were just talking about News Corp. A lot of what a lot of what we saw in, in WordPress's early success for WordPress VIP was uh, success through media or organizations that really had an emphasis on like. publishing workflows and getting content to an audience and what we're seeing just broadly in the in the industry is that the importance of content and content marketing is just it's never been more important than it is now in terms of driving audience keeping you know getting getting folks to your products and aware of your products a lot of that's happening in content it's all about eyeballs it is and it and and it's driving traffic through like what people are interested in and so cap gemini was a was an interesting one for us because what they needed to do was really sort of have a, a reckoning internally around like what what is this, the current state of marketing? Uh, and marketing is, is really like, look, the organization as a whole, like we're all contributing to marketing in some way, like, you know, from sales teams to product teams, like there is domain expertise, there's information. And the more we can sort of start extracting these things and share that, externally, the more people are able to find us and find the great things that we're doing. And they were on a platform that just wasn't really facilitating that. There was four people in in an organization of 200,000 that actually knew how to manipulate the platform that was behind their global web property. Crazy. And so you got four people managing that. And what happens is it takes days to get minor changes you know, out to the world. And then it takes weeks or months to do like changes of any significance beyond that. And so what we see in organizations is then now people just start working around that. Like, okay, the existing system is slow, it's cumbersome. I'm just going to go spin up something over here to get my job done that I need to do. They take it onto themselves, yeah, find a workaround. That's it. And you're just like, okay, I'll, and that creates like a governance nightmare for an organization because right. now you've got different providers and doing things and these organizations, like the parts have different p So they're sort of empowered to do it. Like, look, I'm going to take my own budget, just do it because what you're providing me centrally is not allowing me to do the job. So they went out and did a, a big search, like where should we be going on this? And really the importance of, content marketing and content as an audience engagement for an organization like Capgemini uh, was critical. And they looked at WordPress and said, this could really be a great fit for us. And so went through a, a major discovery process with them, sort of like unpacked everything. They published somewhere around 40,000 jobs a year. They managed 20,000 plus pieces of content across the you know of their site. And so we're kind of unpacking all these things across 38 different geos, I think they run on sites. So there's, you know, this massive network. It's like, how does all this come through in a WordPress context? And the end result of that is, you know, we help them sort of guide through like how, how to see that, how to see Capgemini through the WordPress construct and how WordPress approaches this. And um, it's really like, how do we... How can we take things like roles and responsibilities across the organization and empower people to actually get into the software, not have to go through chains of command just to get out to the audience? Like, How do we create people in local offices mm-hmm. that have the power to go right out to the market with content and, and serving that? And again, so it took an organization that had four people that knew how to like run it internally. Now they've got just a, a product team of 70 alone that are just iterating and building like, you know, new functionality on their on their primary site. And then they've literally got now thousands across the organization that are contributing content into this in real time. Sounds and a
2: little bit better than four. Sounds a
0: lot better than four, right? And, yeah. and and we're talking like hours now or minutes to get stuff out instead of days or weeks and months uh, to do this stuff. The whole as well. workflow. And it consi- and then it allowed them to go back out to the businesses and say, okay, now all these other sort of paths you've worn to kind of work around the old system like we got to clean that up. And so clean up the governance nightmare, do all of those pieces here to now we're running on a consistent platform with consistent approach, and everyone's just more empowered to do the job more successfully now.
1: That was Nick Gernert, CEO of WordPress VIP. To find out more, visit wpvip.com. And now back to Ariana Huffington and Mark Benioff.
3: But what is amazing is that also you can find joy, even during the challenges, because joy is kind of, it's a birthright.
4: Mm.
3: And um, so the a feature that we are launching in December, you know, I know how excited you get about launching new features. Well, <laughs> I'm really excited about this feature because It's based on the scientific fact, which is an incredible cause for optimism, Mm. that it takes 60 to 90 seconds to course correct from stress. Mm. Stress is unavoidable. Mm. Nobody can create a life of no stress. And it's not a problem in itself. The problem is stress becoming cumulative. Yes. So we are launching this feature called Reset, which um, asks the user, to identify images, quotes, music that give them joy. Mm-hmm. And then we put it together in a 60-second video. Great. So let's say right now, my, my reset guide, if I played it for you now, I wish you could play, mm-hmm. has pictures of my daughters when they were young and unproblematic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, My favorite landscapes, my favorite um, uh, quote, including Rumi, live life as though everything is rigged in your favor. Mm -hmm. And my current favorite song, which I can change, and which I do change about every couple of weeks, my current favorite song is Taylor Swift, you need to calm down. (laughs) So if I'm feeling stressed, I just play it. It's 60 seconds. And what I love about it is that it has amazing applications. Like we are working with Rapi. Rapi is a courier service in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Their couriers are over over 400,000 couriers are mm-hmm. incredibly stressed. We are putting reset on the courier app. Mm-hmm. So let's say you are stuck in São Paulo traffic <laughs> and you get stressed, you play your guide. Mm-hmm. And I, what I love also is that it builds community because I want to see your guide mm-hmm. or you want to see your coworkers guides and share and kind of remind each other that we have the power to course correct from stress just by pausing and taking literally one minute. Mm-hmm. And think of it, we are going to be using it with call center mm-hmm. operators.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, Microsoft has, Big operations in Nicaragua and Vietnam, stressed out, burned out operators. And we've tested it. What it happens when, through machine learning, you know when the operator has gotten a particularly nasty call, which is going to affect mm-hmm. the customer experience they provide going forward. So we feed them a Thrive call that asks them to remember three things they're grateful for, or get up and stretch or breathe consciously, one minute. I love the fact that so much of modern science, Mark, is validating ancient wisdom. Mm. You know, the monastics know that. They know that without knowing that Stanford scientists have actually proven it. They know it because that's what ancient wisdom is, is based on.
2: You mentioned breath. What is the role of breath in your life? And when you go to take a moment or go to meditate or to stop your day, where is where is breath in your practice?
3: Breath is huge, of course. In fact, I forgot to mention that reset has a breathing pacer. Mm-hmm. So while you are watching and listening, you can also breathe more consciously. Mm-hmm. and. For me, any time I'm feeling stressed, just stopping for a second to breathe consciously changes everything. And it may not happen the first time, but we get better and better at it. Or if you can't sleep, to focus on your breathing. You know, inhale and exhale consciously a few times and you see how everything kind of slows down. And you're able to release some of the stress. Mm-hmm. That's actually my second favorite step, which is in the morning when you wake up. Can you take one minute before you go to your phone? Just literally one minute. Most people, you know, go to their phone before they're fully conscious, <laughs> before they have touched the ground with their feet. <clears throat> and you may get a stressful message. And suddenly the cortisol hormone is coursing through your body <laughs> before you're fully conscious. <clears throat> so you see, these steps are so small. We call them micro steps, too small to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, because they are kind of the opposite of New Year resolutions, which don't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe they work for two to three weeks, but... For us, it's like don't say that you're going to go to the gym an hour a day because you won't after two weeks. Just say that you're going to do two push-ups a day and maybe make it three or take the the steps instead of the elevator. Whatever it is that that is doable and a repeatable act.
2: Coming back to that moment in 2007 when you were experiencing the burnout, you've now realized that there's actions you need to take. Was there someone who came into your life then that became your mentor or guide or supporter to kind of influence this direction that has unfolded for you?
3: Um, a lot of people that I either sought out mm-hmm. because I loved their books, um, or people who talked about their wake up moments More people have had wake up moments than they talk about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually would always encourage people to tell their stories because it helps so many others. Mm
2: -hmm. What does that mean, a wake up
3: moment? I mean, for me, like collapsing was a wake up moment. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like living my life more unconsciously Mm -hmm. and then having a wake up moment. Mm -hmm. But also in terms of the change in my career, It was actually Jack Ma Mm. who invited me to speak in Hangzhou at his first women's conference, right after I had written my book Thrive, and it was the first time anybody had invited me to speak about how to live a good life as opposed to the media world. So that was my first speech on this theme of how to go from surviving Mm. to Mm -hmm. thriving. Mm -hmm. And Jack was in the audience, and that night he had a speaker's dinner. And he said to me, you know, listen to your speech, and if I were you, I would leave the Huffington Post and launch a company about the things you discussed today Mm -hmm. because he said stress is going to become a bigger and bigger problem around the world. He had all the data. He said, in China now, we have 100 million people suffering from Mm -hmm. stress-related mental health issues, et cetera. And he said, there's no market leader. You should leave and do that. And if you do it, I will invest in it, in you. Mm. At the time, I thought he was crazy uh, because I had no intention of leaving Hafos. I don't know if you ever could look back and say you had no intention of leaving Oracle, probably at some point, or maybe not. Okay, you can tell us later.
2: You have to read my book.
3: (laughs) I want the world to know. So I, but then it was as though he had planted a seed. Yeah. And in 2016, when I decided to do it, um, I told him and he did invest in it. And thank you, Mark, because you invested in the Series B. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really amazing to, to meet somebody who saw something ahead of you seeing something about your own life. And that, for me, is the ultimate mentorship when somebody can sort of guide you mm-hmm. into the next chapter that you had not even recognized as a next mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm.
2: And does he continue then to give you that vision and guidance around what thrive can be, or did that was that his role right you there? You know,
3: in many ways, as you know, you you heard him in Davos many many times uh, talk about these issues. Like he talked about how, the, somebody asked him what he loses sleep over, and he said, actually, the the bigger my problem, the more important it is to get real sleep. Mm. Because then I can, um, it's easier for me to solve it in the morning. He also talked about how we are moving from a century where muscle was the dominant um, um winner-take-all uh, approach to wisdom uh, being uh, dominant. And, and um, <clears throat> I think the idea that we are drowning in data and starved for wisdom is like a key part of what in many ways he has spoken about.
2: So he is a very important part of everything that has unfolded.
3: Definitely.
2: Yeah. And so now here we are, you're going, you've entered the enterprise software industry. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You have your product, you're using it now to create more wellness, mental health inside companies. Um, what's your dream? Where would you like to be now? Let's say five years from now, what, where, where would Thrive be and where, where would you be?
3: So my dream you, as you encourage us always, Mark, is to think big, right? And dream big. So I'm definitely dreaming big. I want to end the stress and burnout epidemic, which is going to have huge consequences on mental health, on um, chronic diseases. I feel so passionate about it because I feel there's so much suffering in the world that we cannot immediately solve. I mean, look at how much you are doing around homelessness. Um, But here is something that we can solve simply by changing the collective delusion that in order to succeed, we have to burn out. And once we change that delusion, everything we're doing starts with a shift in mindsets. Once you change that mindset and you begin to adopt certain micro steps, you can actually recognize that success and performance and well-being are not on opposite sides. Success and performance should be based on a foundation of health and well-being. And that's kind of my dream, that we can give people not just the content and the awareness and the data and the science, but the steps to take this action so that they can experience it for themselves because that's why you brought the monastics here, because you want to give people a taste Mm -hmm. of what is our birthright, so that we don't live life in this breathless way of being perpetually overwhelmed in a state state of time famine, Mm -hmm. but we can accept instead the fact that we have it in us, to live life in a way that has both peak performance and joy. Mm. And so my favorite little um, admonition Mm. Mm -hmm. is upward, Mm. onward, and inward. Mm. (laughs) Upward and onward is not enough Mm. without taking the time to go inward. Mm. And also, I profoundly believe and I hope to have more and more people recognize it, that when we go inward, we can go upward and onward faster with less cost to our health,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: to our loved ones, and to our experience of life.
2: Well, I strongly believe that. I mean, it's one of the reasons why on, you know, here at the conference, but also every floor of every building that Salesforce has worldwide, the three buildings we have here in the city or Indianapolis or New York or Chicago or London, if you're on a Salesforce floor, you can say, well, where is the meditation room? Yes. And you'll find a room that is set up for you to be able to close the door and a pillow, and that's it. And you have the ability to take a breath relax, calm down, (laughs) reboot, uh, reframe, rethink. And that it's on the floor because it represents that it has to be an integrated part of your life, your work life and your home life. And that's why it's also at the conference because how could we have a conference without having that, if that was actually something we believe. It has to be an integrated part of the program that yes, there's 2700 sessions at Dreamforce on all these amazing technologies, but many of those sessions are also on these topics like mental health. And that's something that we have to open ourselves up to and be willing to, as you said, talk about, I think maybe for a long time, some of these topics have been taboo, so that the mind-body and also that your mental health is part of your physical health. Mm -hmm. So this idea that we can talk about it, we can practice it, we can experience it, that this can be part of what we're doing to, as you say, so beautifully thrive.
3: But also, Mark, what is so important and why you're a trailblazer, to coin a phrase, is that you are saying that f- from a foundation of enormous success, and that is very important, because people need to be given permission mm-hmm. to recognize that you can both succeed and achieve mm-hmm. all your dreams, and that in fact it's going to be easier and more sustainable if you take the time to pause, reflect, go inward. Yes. And that's why we need to collect these stories and: Yes. Um, I just really would love everyone here to share your story. You know, at Thrive, uh, the media platform, we collect these stories. Um, it could be stories of burnout or stories of what you do to help you achieve sustainable success. And I'm going to make it very easy for you. Mm. I'll give you my email address. You can send it to me.
4: Mm, great. And then
3: we'll give you a password and you can post anytime you want. Um, ah at thriveglobal.com and share your stories. We can also put you on meditative stories. The great Salesforce team, Stephanie Bouchami and Christina Jones and and, um, their teams are here and working with us on collecting these stories and sharing them with the world because that's how we're going to accelerate the shift.
2: Yeah, I think that if people hear that this is something that they can cultivate and practice, and that some of the basic ideas like breath, it turns out a lot of us are already breathing, so that's (laughs) very good news. And then how to actually be able to cultivate our breath to become more mindful and that it will increase our mental health. That's a very powerful Thought and then to actually meet people who are de facto experts almost in this is I think so interesting that they exist and that they can help guide us and then there's people like yourself who have linked that to even business. You know, like I have several apps on my phone that are meditation apps. Even my watch uh, that I wear like this one that you have, there's a button where it turns into a meditation mode So I think that when I first started meditating, which was back in 1992, that I would never have thought that the technology would be augmenting or training Mm -hmm. or extending that, you know, that the things that I was hearing, I thought were quite different and unusual, you know, not mainstream. I don't think I could have imagined that there would be a day that, you know, we would be on a stage like this Speaking to an audience um, here in the room and online about the importance of cultivating their mental health and to avoiding, like you said beautifully, burnout, but also to be able to listen to your voice inside, just like you did, as well as Jack Ma's voice, um, to direct your future and to find the steps to go forward.
3: And you know, you you had this great conversation with Tim Cook yesterday, and he has been very instrumental in that shift at Apple towards encouraging people's health. And you know, breathe is a feature of the watch. Mm -hmm. And um, encouraging people to sleep Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, is a feature of the watch. Again, that's a very, very new development.
2: And, and I noticed you have a sleep ring that you're wearing. Yes, and I'm so wearing do my, I, too, I have that. Are
3: you wearing that, too? Same
2: as well, so you're monitoring you your sleep. Which do you
3: prefer, mine or... Uh, because they have different... Mine's shoes.
2: pretty scratched up, yeah, so I your... think I like yours better, actually.
3: This is the Aura ring, uh, O-U-R-A, because I have a bit of an accent. And it's great because, um, as you know, it, um, in the morning, it gives you not just the amount of sleep you got, but how much deep sleep, how much REM sleep, what got in the way of you getting deep sleep, so it's, right. I love it.
2: Yeah, my ring was very upset with me, but on we were Monday, Monday, we uh, went to Bernard Tyson Memorial, which was at the Chase Center. It was three and a half hours in the afternoon, and of course, you know, is we've dedicated the entire conference, to his memory, he was a very important part of my life, very close friend, a member of our board. We also traveled very extensively uh, together and, you know, it was a very, I mean, it's still, you know, I'm obviously still grieving because just, you know, a week last Sunday we received the call that that morning he had not woken up. And so... Um, then being with his family, and then uh, spending the week you know, contemplating his life, and uh, being in prayer for him, and then attending the memorial on Monday. Um, I didn't sleep very well Monday night, and when I woke up Tuesday morning, I only had the Dreamforce keynote to do, <laughs> so I checked my ring. My ring was very unhappy with me. <laughs> But I also have to have some compassion for myself that of course, you know, this is gonna be difficult, um, but I have to bring it all into my heart to be able to move forward, and And I think that's...
3: And you did it, and that's when it's so important to realize we have a lot of reserves. So no matter what our best intentions are, Mm Sometimes you have to draw to these reserves to give the keynote after not getting a good night's sleep.
2: Well, I'll give you a, some, a thought that a friend of ours, Jane Goodall, who's incredible, the incredible primatologist, she sent me an email really just about a month ago, and in her email she talked about how when she is called to do a major presentation or she is going to speak, and she has not had the sleep or the rest that she deserves, she takes a moment to meditate, she makes sure that she has Mm -hmm. her mindfulness every morning, and then she just opens herself up and then lets that come through her. And I think that was so beautiful. And I think that on Monday, and on Tuesday when I woke up, um, I realized I needed to take a few minutes before the keynote, for sure, and even this morning, Um, I need to take half an hour to be able to sit and collect my thoughts and come back because how else will I be able to Give. give back today and also to be able to open up, to be able to listen, to be able to have an interview with you or the ones we did yesterday with the CEO of Gucci or the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, that you mentioned, or the keynote. And I think that this is something that we can all do Um, It can be augmented with technology or monitored by the technology like we talked about, the ring, the watch, the this, the that. (laughs) But the number one thing is there is no technology when I'm just sitting there and I'm just paying attention to my breath for a half an hour. And that's why I do like having the monastics here because they're helping just to show how that basic idea can have had such a huge impact on people's life and give them the ability to have performance even during a very stressful time. That, of course, there's gonna be moments when you're gonna have to be able to do both. And this is is one of the key ways to accomplish this.
3: And that's why it's so important for people to know that because Harvard did a study recently. Uh, They asked uh, um, individuals to choose between having 15 minutes by themselves without technology Mm -hmm. or anything, or getting electric shock. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And 67% of the men chose electric shock. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Among the women, high women in the room, 25% chose electric shock. But that shows that we have a long way to go Mm -hmm. to convince people that being alone with yourself is actually powerful. It's actually a way to recharge and be more fully present in anything you're doing. And you don't have to start with 15 minutes. We say start with one minute Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and build. Mm -hmm.
2: What are some of the other things that you think are useful techniques that we can bring out of our tool chest that help us during stressful times.
3: So another thing, and it's particularly important, let's say if you had a day like the day you had with Bernard Tyson's memorial, um, is to create a transition to sleep. Mm-hmm. Because very often, we don't have a transition to sleep. Like most people, literally, this is, there's data here, are on their phone Until the last moment, handling text, emails. They put their phone on their nightstand, turn off their their light. Mm. And they fall asleep because they're physically exhausted. But their brain has not come down. So it wakes them up in the middle of the night, and then they have a hard time going back to sleep. Mm -hmm. So creating a transition to sleep. Anybody here with children knows that you don't just drop your young children to bed, right? You sing them a song. You read them a good night moon. You put them in their PJs, etc. So we need to create a similar transition for us. I recorded a parody of Goodnight Moon that you can download from Audible called Goodnight Smartphone. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> then I highly recommend a hot bath or a hot shower and prolong it the more stressed and mm-hmm. wired you are. Mm-hmm. Not for cleanliness, but simply to slow down your brain.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Then I love to read only physical books in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing to do with work. Like philosophy, poetry, read the monastics. I love reading Thich Nhat Han. Um, all my favorite spiritual leaders, that's when I read them before I go to sleep. And then you, and then remembering at the end of everything what I'm grateful for. Just three things I'm grateful for. Definitely our conversation will be top of the list tonight. Mm-hmm. But it can also be something really small. It could be your cafe latte, it could be um, a pet you saw in the street, anything. Mm-hmm. So that you end the day on the positive note, then there, then our survivalist default position, which is wearing or ruminating.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Ariano, I could keep going for hours. I um, wanna thank you so much for being here. And I do want to encourage you to go and visit
3: I'm the going Plum Village for sure. and writing the bottom, about
2: Moscone. It. It's really cool. And I just want to thank all of you for being here at Dreamforce and we'll look forward to being with you tonight. Thank you, Ariana. Thank Wonderful. you so
4: much.
1: Huffington, such a visionary who can teach us all about the importance of mindfulness and well-being, about taking a minute to pause and check in with our bodies instead of getting swept up in the stress of life and work. I loved what you said about technology. How it's done so much to connect us, but also to disconnect us. And how high performance and really success actually depends on taking the time to connect with ourselves, our families, our coworkers, basically everyone around us. It's such a great message. Finally, it came up in our conversation with Mark, but if you haven't listened to the Meditative Story podcast yet, I think you should. It's produced by Thrive Global, sponsored by Salesforce, and I am a new subscriber myself, and already really enjoying its great mix of storytelling and mindfulness prompts. That will do it for another Blazing Trails. Thank you for listening, and thank you to WordPress VIP for presenting this show with us. We'll be back next week with another great conversation from Dreamforce 2019, featuring chefs Samin Nosrat and Dominique Crenn. Whether you're a foodie or not, you will want to tune in and see what they have to say about our food systems and climate change.
2: Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce, a customer relationship management solution committed to helping you deliver the personalized experiences customers want. So they'll keep coming back again and again. Salesforce, bringing companies and customers together. Visit salesforce.com slash learn more.